Hi, everybody, and welcome back to my podcast, Making Milestones. Long time no talk. Um, If you haven't realized, I have a very hard time staying on schedule and keeping up to date with all of my social media channels and making sure that I'm uploading regularly on all of them. So the podcast definitely takes the back seat when I get busy like that. But I am hoping to get more regular with doing my podcasts and upload them once a week. And that day would probably be on Sunday, which today is not. But I haven't made one since June. So I figured it was about time to get this up here because holy moly. So anyways, today's episode, I'm just going to talk a little bit about my training philosophy and like how I would personally classify what I do with horses and I also wanted to talk about a few things that I've noticed in training horses mostly online because there's a lot of bad stuff that you see online and just kind of how disheartening it is to see the general response to a lot of these problematic training methods and how a lot of the comments on them are very positive and also seeing how commonly these things are posted online and how normalized it is in the horse world and I also hate the fact that with a lot of the more rough training methods people assume that if you do not support them that you're either young you're inexperienced don't know how to ride or that you're like a Pirelli nut or something and like it's just that they use a whole lot of excuses to try to justify their blatant disregard for their horse's feelings and it's a very common deflection tactic in a number of things but horse people use it all the time they'll try to discredit you or make fun of you and your experience rather than actually using any credible sources to try to justify their stance it's it becomes totally about you as a person and trying to make you feel small for speaking out and that's one of the things that I hate most about how people handle things online with horses and just how ingrained this type of mindset is in the horse culture and that's what I really want to talk about in hopes of kind of getting through to some people who may need to reflect and start to change their minds on things because it's not simple to change ways that you've grown comfortable with or traditional methods that you've seen occurring all throughout your riding career if you don't know the other way of doing things and you choose not to look into the validity of certain training methods from a science perspective. So it can be really hard to change and I find that a lot of people don't want to acknowledge other methods and they don't want to see that their ways are bad because they don't want to admit that they've been wronging their horse in any way and it's understandable because it sucks to care about an animal and then realize that something you're doing is harmful to them so it makes sense but at the end of the day in my opinion it's better that we all start to grow and learn new things and learn how to do better than stay ignorant just because it's in our comfort zone So first and foremost, I just want to discuss some of the common problems and trends that I notice online with how horse people deal with their horses and how they react to certain things. And then I'm going to go into my opinion and like where I have learned and grown in my training and where I think my current stance is. But mostly a lot of the bad training that I see being applauded the most and shared the most is on TikTok because people get a lot of views and a lot of attention if they post like really big videos of their horses having major freak outfits and then riding through it or hard tying a horse to a post and having it freak out and then you get a lot of attention for it so they're getting rewarded for it it's a positive reinforcement even if the attention itself is sometimes negative just because they're getting clout for it and they like that so then they continue doing these things to showboat online and I think that's in part 
the problem with the horse world today is that people will do things and they'll kind of try to elicit certain reactions so that they have a show to put on on social media and they'll even do this with things like over facing their horse even if the horse isn't having a huge scary reaction they'll jump higher and they'll do certain things that they wouldn't necessarily do if they weren't using the photos or video clips to share online with other people and This is something that a lot of people are guilty of, even if they don't fall into the more abusive methods that I'm going to talk about. I think that there's a temptation anytime social media is involved or if you're showing your horse that shows and you're trying to move up the levels, there is you feel the need to prove yourself. And this makes you stressed and more flustered. And there's more of a desire to get somewhere quickly and to make a certain impression to other people so that you can define your worth that way. And then I think this leads to people rushing their horses and being a lot harsher because they get frustrated and they often feel insecure. And then that ends up being taken out on their horses. And then on top of this, I'm sure that in part, people's reaction to their animals and how they train them has to do with not only like the horse trainers and people at the barn that they've grown up watching and seeing how they handle their horses, but also people within their family. If you're used to seeing a lot of arguing and fighting in your family or you grew up with harsher action being taken in terms of punishment, you're probably a little bit desensitized to it and it doesn't come across as being as bad. Like for me, when I grew up riding, I rode with people who had very traditional methods. And when I was growing up, like up until like, Basically, when I started high school, like the internet wasn't really anywhere near what it was today. And even when I could use it, I didn't know like how to look up studies and how to look up factual information. So everything I learned was just from the people I was around day to day. And to someone young and impressionable, especially when you're assuming that you know less than everyone else, seeing everyone okay with something and doing something makes it seem like it's okay to you. And that That kind of bleeds into your adult life even once you're allowed to go or once you know how to go look for studies and kind of look for other opinions. It creates a problem and it kind of, you get comfortable seeing certain things if you see them all the time and you become desensitized to them and then you assume that there's no issue with them in the first place. And then also for me and like family relationships, like for those of you who don't know, my parents are divorced and they're way happier as friends than they were married, but they used to fight a lot and we would hear it as kids. So then it kind of desensitizes you to that type of way of handling arguments. And then it seems like normal and you assume that like everyone else does this. And I I want to kind of compare that to how people are with horses. If you see people constantly arguing with their horses and picking fights with their horses and handling things really aggressively, it'll seem normal to you and you become desensitized to the actuality of what's going on. And you don't really think about it in the sense that, oh, the horse is probably getting hurt or stressed from this. You think about it from the sense that, oh, the horse knows what they're doing and this punishment is justified. And if they don't listen to this punishment, they're just deliberately being an asshole. And I think that's where the aggression generally stems from is the idea that the horse is being an asshole and the idea that what you're doing to them can't cause them too much pain or stress. So anyways, I think desensitization to what's going on and how normalized it is in the industry and how frequently you're told to do certain things by numerous different people coming from all different disciplines and just having certain ways of handling things be so in your face, that probably breeds a lot of aggression in people. And then it teaches them that when the horse does a certain thing that they need to be punished and that they're being bad and they're the one in the wrong. And then 
you don't really want to let go of that because it would require you to completely uproot your method and kind of probably cut ties with a lot of the trainers and people that you like being around. So people kind of reject that and instead they turn it into this person's wrong and the reason for it is because they're less experienced than me, they know less, they're an idiot, and so on and so forth rather than looking into the actual information behind it. So I think this is what breeds the aggression towards horses mainly. And even in like movies and stuff, it's so normalized to have like these big reactions when you're breaking horses they're bucking they're freaking out and just there's certain things that you see all the time in our culture that aren't actually normal like if you start a horse correctly there should never be that big explosion when you get on them and you're just bucking and riding them out anyone who has that happen to them other than like fluke occurrences where something scares the horse and then they just have the natural reaction of panicking because there's something on their back and they're they're a flight animal other than like very very specific occurrences it's usually from someone not adequately preparing the horse and then as a result they scare the shit out of the horse and they get these big reactions and for some people i genuinely think that certain trainers and riders like these reactions because they they feel like macho or cool doing it they feel like a better rider and then they like sharing it online and like i said tiktok is one of the main sources for this they get applauded on tiktok people tend to be a lot younger on tiktok which means they might not be as able to access the information that will teach them otherwise, or they might not know how, and they're largely probably influenced by the trainers and adults in their life. And I think that's why it's so easy to get just hats off to you for abusing your horse on TikTok. So anyways, my issue with like these modern methods is that it kind of breeds aggression into our culture. And I'm sure that this comes out in other people's lives, like outside of horses, where they start to bring this behavior to their other animals because it's something that definitely for me like it was a factor for sure because if you're constantly seeing horse people do that and then also to their dogs at the barn they would do similar things and it just feels normal it feels like the right way to handle it and then you have this inherent malice towards an animal anytime they disobey what your commands are and it makes it so that you're essentially a dictator and if they ever question what you're asking them they get punished for it. And just to compare it to like ourselves as humans, think about how odd it would be to be going to school with a teacher and then anytime you ask a question or you're unsure, you don't understand something, they just get mad at you or they whack you on the wrist with like a ruler or something instead of just explaining it a different way or explaining it again with lots of patience and kind of taking their time. We're essentially being that teacher with a ruler smacking horses and not understanding them. And honestly, the video that actually made me want to make this was one from TikTok. And it's a video of this girl who has a horse stop at a fence. And then she walks the horse away from the fence, winds up and cracks it really hard on the ass. And when the whip's coming down before it even gets anywhere close to the horse's ass, you can tell that the horse knows it's coming. This is something that's probably happened more than once, definitely more than once, I would say. But I cannot guarantee that because I wasn't there. But I would wager more than anything that this has happened more than once because the horse could predict what was about to happen. And they don't really have the means to do that if it's not something that's happening happen fairly consistently so anyway she cracks the horse on the ass after walking away from the fence which is a really important thing to acknowledge why you ask well because for animals you need to link your punishment or reinforcement within a key amount of time otherwise they will not link it to the bad behavior or whatever good behavior you're trying to enforce so in this case cracking a horse on the ass with a whip that is positive punishment the positive part of positive punishment means that you're adding something you're adding punishment into the situation to try to discourage a behavior, positive punishment. 
And in this case with refusals, I really disagree with how people commonly handle refusals because this is a very common thing for people to do. Either they'll crack the horse on the ass when they're stopped right in front of the fence or they'll walk away and crack them a few times on their way back. And this has completely missed like the key time frame that you need to be within to properly punish the behavior if you're going to do it. You need to be within like a second or two of when the horse starts to back off of the fence and crack them right then. Otherwise, they're linking the punishment of being cracked on the ass with the whip to the jump or walking away from the jump or coming towards the jump. So essentially, all you're teaching them is, hey, you should be nervous when you approach this fence. And usually it makes them even more nervous in the future when they're refusing. And it increases refusal or just like sour behaviors towards jumping and being ridden in general. It doesn't make them more confident. You're scaring them. If you want a horse to gain confidence over fences, you can't bully them over the fences because if you're scared of something, like if you're scared of spiders and someone comes running up to you with a bucket full of spiders and throws them on you, you would probably freak out and it's not a good way to handle things. And with horses, we're commonly throwing buckets of spiders on them with how we introduce them to scary things or how we force them to go through scary things that they're dealing with. And it inadvertently tends to breed even worse behaviors in them, even if they come out in different ways that people may not necessarily associate with their actual actions of punishment. So anyways, in this video, she does not properly mark the behavior. She basically punishes the horse for turning and walking. The horse does not know that it's being punished for the refusal straight up. They do not have the capacity to know this several seconds after something happens. This is a fact. This is confirmed in numerous scientific studies, and it's not applicable to just horses. It's also applicable to dogs and lots of other animals that we train. This is undeniable fact. You need to mark behaviors within a certain amount of time, even if you're using punishers. Otherwise, it does not mark the correct behavior that you're trying to punish or reinforce. Undeniable. So anyways, all the comments on this post are like all positive and talking about eight-year-old internet trainers. If they go be ready for the eight-year-old internet trainers and then the OP comments on it is like, oh, haha, like eight-year-olds, stupid trainers, people don't know what they're talking about, lol. And it's like, first of all, I am not eight years old. I am 24 and I'm a professional trainer who likes to think that I try to educate myself on a university basis when it comes to equine behavior and other stuff. But a lot of people like me are the assholes that are commenting and being like, you know, like this isn't the coolest thing to be flexing. You're literally like flexing the fact that you're beating your horse. So not only is it weird to like not properly mark the behavior in the first place, but to brag about it and be proud of it and act like it's some sort of thing to flex about is really weird to me. You're literally flexing, causing physical harm to a horse. And this isn't even me saying that in all cases, I think positive punishment is bad. But the problem with positive punishment is that it doesn't give the horse much information. So you're punished them and all you're saying is this thing is bad, even when you correctly mark the time frame, which this person did not. So let's say you punish them at the perfect time to link to the behavior. All you're saying is that thing is bad. You're not saying do this instead. You're not giving them another means like, hey, what about this? And then if they're reacting from pain or something else, you're silencing their means of communication, which is one of the biggest problems with punishment is if you do it a lot, then the horse is going to shut down and stop trying to communicate with you, which means that you lose a lot of valuable behaviors that could tell you when something's up with the horse or the really special ones that are part of like actually interacting and having a bond with your horse. If you punish them too heavily, you're silencing communication and there's no way around this because all you're doing is punishing the behavior. It doesn't 
allow you to consider why the behavior is there in the first place and it also doesn't allow your horse the means of knowing what the correct behavior to do is you're just saying don't do this this is bad if you do this i will hit you there is not enough information for the horse and it's not fair it's really dicta- uh, dictatorial or dictatorial or whatever i don't know how to fucking say that but you know what i mean you're being a dictator you're bullying your horse and you're not giving them enough information and then if it becomes a habit which i would say for sure people that flex the fact that they're hitting their horses in videos they probably do it all the time because they think it's cool so you're just silencing communication and you're not being a partner. And I would like to think that all of us get into riding because we genuinely like horses. I would really like to think that. But the more and more I see how certain people handle horses, it does make me wonder if people get into this sport just because they like to have power over another being. And to the ones that do care about their horses, it's a weird cognitive dissonance because They genuinely do love their horses, but then they also don't see any problem with their behavior and don't want to acknowledge or address it, which is really, really startling and scary. So anyways, that's kind of an example of like one of my issues with positive punishment. And like I said, I'm not against the use of it completely because I will say like for myself too, like there's definitely been situations where horses have like either come at me and tried to hurt me and I just need to shove them out of the way or I need to use a whip as like a barrier to keep them from coming towards me. And like there's these there are key circumstances where it might be okay to do but at the end of the day we should be trying to do that like the least like you should be trying to erase that from your vocabulary and instead make it about teaching the horse what the right thing to do is rather than just punishing the bad because like I said it negates their ability to communicate with you and we should start to think about it more like a healthy family relationship where you're teaching something and you're like the knowledgeable one in their life you're like a parent almost you're taking care of them you provide for their needs and it's your job to teach them and even with humans using fear and punishment to teach it's not been shown to be successful in studies and it definitely hasn't been shown to be successful with animals so why this is even still something that people think is valid is very weird to me and like Most of the studies that I've read that are technically anti-punishment, at the end, the people who are doing these studies and conducting these studies, they will say that like there are circumstances where it might be justified to do, but the problem is that it doesn't give the animals enough information and that people tend to do it a lot when they do it because it's reinforcing your frustration to be able to take it out on another animal physically point blank and I'll even say for myself like in the past like especially when I was showing arrows because it was all I saw like people hitting their horses using big bits and doing all sorts of unfair things it was so normalized in that that like it was I definitely participated and it takes a while to break those habits because you're used to taking your frustration out on the horse and everything's their fault and when they react a certain way you give them a crop on the bum or you kick them and that's how you dealt with it and it was so normalized from like the first several years that I started to ride and it's important to acknowledge that I was like four when I started to ride and It was super normalized to me. And while my mom rides, she was also showing Arabs and she had seen very much of the same things that I did. But even then, when she saw things that she was uncomfortable with, it was still the same thing where she felt like she wasn't as high up as the people we were with and that she didn't know as much. So it gets harder to speak up. And now that we've had the chance to educate ourselves more, obviously we completely do not agree with some of the past things that we used to do to horses and it definitely was a learning curve to try to like strip 
ourselves of that mindset of like either bidding up and using gadgets to try to achieve a certain thing faster or getting mad at the horse blaming the horse and punishing them instead of just teaching them how to do the right thing it takes time to start to sway away from those habits because you'll fall back into old habits if you've done them long enough and it can be hard to nip it in the bud before you start to do it or before the temptation comes when you're frustrated to throw a bigger bit on your horse and get to go over jumps faster and whatnot So it's really taken like several years of me educating myself and I still wouldn't say I'm perfect because I definitely do have days where I'll feel bad after because I'll think that I asked too much of Milo and that I should have cut the ride off sooner because it would have been better, especially when we're jumping. It's often better to do shorter clips, but sometimes I get greedy and I jump him more than he needs to. Like he honestly, for most, our most successful jump schools are probably like 15 minutes long. And when we're doing coursework, it's easy to get greedy and do like a 30 minute jump school and then it generally doesn't end as well and that's been something that I've really had to be mindful of and it's really hard when you're having it when your horse is having a good day to just cut it off early and not keep pushing it can be really hard for people not to get greedy because I'd say naturally humans are an incredibly greedy and self-absorbed species so it can be hard and that's something that people need to acknowledge is that like it's hard to get rid of old habits it's hard to open yourself up to new information and start to realize where you might have gone wrong in the past especially if you've been guilty of doing the bad things per se for for years it's hard to go back and start to acknowledge that because it requires you to look at and be like holy crap i actually did this this was so unfair and then there's some level of guilt that's felt too, right? Like for my Arab, like I used to show him and like, honestly, like it was like five millimeters thin, like it was fucking ridiculously thin. And I was only like 10 or 11, like max, like 12, maximum 12. So I was a child and I was showing him in this tiny twisted wire bit because he was obviously way softer in it. And the reason why he was softer is because it was essentially like putting a piece of fucking barbed wire in his mouth. And I would blame like the trainer in that case for sure because they should first of all never be using a bit like that in the first place but it should also never be going in the hands of a child especially your clients who trust you and they have this level of assurance in your knowledge and I think this can be said about most of us as riders is that there's that level of trust and respect for your trainer to the point where you don't want to question what they do, even if it doesn't sit right with you, or you don't even question what they do in the first place because you have that much trust in them. And I think the important thing is that if you have a good relationship with your trainer, you definitely should be able to question what they're doing and ask questions and express discomfort because at the end of the day, they're providing you for a service that you're paying for. You're their client and you're paying them so you shouldn't just blindly have to go along with what they say in fear of them lashing out at you and getting mad when you ask questions and I do think that this is something that a lot of students have to worry about and that shows yet another problem in the horse world with how trainers handle things because you shouldn't be afraid to ask a trainer questions about your own horse or even if you're on their horses if they're asking you to do certain things that you're not comfortable with you should be allowed to express said discomfort because essentially you're in a classroom they're the teacher asking questions should be welcomed point blank and it's not it's not in a lot of cases because trainers don't like being questioned and I think the reason behind that is a lot of them don't even really know why they do certain things or why they're hitting their horses why they suggest bidding up and they don't have a good reason to explain it so if your trainer cannot explain things it might be time to run and find a new one but anyways now that I've given you some background on like previous 
stuff with my horses and kind of where I came from. Like, literally, I was guilty of using everything from draw reins, twisted wire bits, elevator bits, pelhams, like, ten ring martingales. If you don't know what those are, look them up. They're very common in the Arab show world. And all sorts of bad things that I probably shouldn't have been using. Just taking shortcuts. Like, my flat work rides were a total joke. Like, I only did flat work because I didn't really jump my Arab. But, like, I literally just rode around in circles and didn't ask him to apply himself after. And then I would get mad when he was, like, heavy in the mouth when I did literally nothing to help soften him. So, yeah, like, I've been guilty of a lot of this stuff. And like I said, I still make mistakes and I'm still learning. And the more I learn, the more my methods will adjust. And, like, even in the beginning of Milo's training, there's a lot of stuff that I could have done better. And he definitely would have turned out better if I had been more patient and had done things differently than I did initially because I was still like coming out of that whole cycle from the Arab circle when I first got him I was starting to move my methods to something a little more relaxed and less traditional but I hadn't completely gotten there yet even when I first got him and I also mentally was in a worse place than I am now so it was easier to keep doing the things I was comfortable with rather than completely start to accept new methods and definitely he would have turned out better and I see it like obviously with Banksy my colt he is my first homebred and I've done everything with him since birth and he never went through the abuse and struggle that Milo did before the STCA seized him. But the difference in their behavior and their level of relaxation, I don't think is completely because Banksy hasn't been abused. I think it's because I've trained him in a way that has been easier for an equine mind to understand. And as a result, it's caused him to be calmer and more accepting and excited about training there wasn't the same level of like resentment towards having to work as milo would have initially because he used to not want anything to do with people from like being caught in the paddock to like at having to lunge to standing and being tied to being brushed like he just did not want people near him initially he didn't care about them he was curious but he just didn't care about hanging out with you he kind of just was like oh okay and if I'd made it more rewarding for him to be with me and more rewarding to lunge, more rewarding to tie in the beginning, it probably would have gone better. And there were instances where I started to make it more rewarding, but it wasn't enough. I needed to do it more consistently and I needed to get less frustrated with him and try to rush him less because I did get greedy and I try to bring him along faster because I would be looking at all of my friends who were on like their six-year-old show horses showing the three foot plus and I was on my little dinky three-year-old who was scrawny and couldn't really go to a show without having a meltdown and comparing myself to other people was like the worst thing I could have done for him because it made me try to hold myself to their level despite the fact that I was on a much harder and much younger horse and it created frustration that I don't think would have been there if I'd just been more patient but obviously like Milo was a really important horse in my journey as a trainer and my journey with horses because he is honestly what largely forced me to start changing my methods drastically and start learning more and he is what taught me a lot of the patience that I have now because I definitely didn't used to be that patient because I was used to instant gratification while I was showing Arabs and initially once I started jumping too through way of training gadgets and bits and uh, and just taking shortcuts I was used to instant gratification and not having to work particularly hard to achieve the things that I wanted to so having a horse that I couldn't 
easily bully into doing the things I want was frustrating because it meant that we weren't progressing and I could not take shortcuts because if I tried to take the shortcuts, he would just essentially be like, fuck you, bitch. This is my way. And (laughs) like, yeah, so it made it difficult and it really tried my patience, but in turn, it's created a better horse trainer in me and it's bettered the lives of all the horses I've been around because he was the one that kind of made me really have to think and start to adjust my ways way more than I was. I was changing way slower before, but he forced me to change and I'm so thankful for that. So yeah, that's the background and kind of my prior experience and some of the mistakes that I made. And then we'll now we'll go into like what my actual philosophy is and Essentially, like, I don't really subscribe to either the traditional school of thought when it comes to horse training or entirely to the positive reinforcement school of thought of horse training. I think that being an extremist on either side isn't an asset because while the people on the positive reinforcement side who are super extreme about their views and don't believe anything other than that should be used, while they're less likely to hurt their horses than the really extreme traditional people, they're also less likely to create valuable conversation and help other people change because they're so militant in their views that if you do not do it the same as them that you're bad and this is one of the problems with social media from that side that I've noticed is that there are enough people who are super militant about positive reinforcement and really shamey that they scare people away from wanting to learn it and then it also creates the resentment and trash talking that we see online where people mock the positive reinforcement crowd or the natural horsemanship crowd and otherwise and I think that the bad thing about that is it sways people further to the traditional side rather than encouraging them to start trying positive reinforcement and start to move towards that direction and let go a lot of, of a lot of the punishing aspects of their other method being militant and really critical of others if they use any type of negative reinforcement or positive punishment. It doesn't allow a good dialogue for them to start to learn and change their ways. And I think that this has been the downfall of the positive reinforcement movement is that there's too many purists that do not handle it in a way that is conducive of changing people's opinions. And then people use those purists as a means of discrediting the entire usage of the movement and trying to claim it doesn't work. And I also will say, like, from a training perspective, it's not, in my opinion, reasonable for, like, if you're doing your job as a horse trainer to only do positive reinforcement and to only teach horses from absolutely pressure-free ways because you're going to give them back to their owners who are largely going to ride them that way. Or if you're selling horses, they need to be able to withstand to some extent the demands of people. And obviously like when I'm selling horses, I'll really look for homes that I think will do right by them. But at the same time, like most people that I know aren't going to start large lunging their horses, a target stick. And it's not the end of the world for a horse to learn how to move off of a lunge whip. So from that standpoint, I think that people need to realize that there should be some sort of happy medium because at the end of the day, if you take it too far to one side, it's unlikely to incite change in others. And for me, like I definitely use positive reinforcement in my training and I did use it before I even knew what it was, contrary to the belief of a lot of people online because I didn't coin it as such. I never referred to it as positive reinforcement prior to me actually learning about equine behavior and taking the behavior courses that I did because I didn't know it was referred to as that. Like I really didn't have as good of an understanding of it as I did after those classes. So 
when I would give my horse cookies for doing things or scratch his neck for doing things or give him a hay net when he was standing tied. All of these things are technically reinforcing what he's doing positively, but I didn't label it as such. Oh, and quickly for those who don't know like what positive reinforcement is, like I said with positive punishment, positive means adding something. So positive reinforcement is adding a reinforcer and a reinforcer is something that is likely to increase the behavior. So you are adding something which would have to be a reward because it's something that makes the horse or the animal want to do the behavior again. So it has to be something they like. So anyways, I still used positive reinforcement initially. I just did not use it as often as I do now and I didn't use it in the same way and it wasn't as structured or as educated. But I did use it and it's something that I would use in training to try to keep horses more focused or praise them after a good ride. And it was sometimes poorly timed for sure because I didn't learn about the whole timing thing until later on in my life, well after the Arab circuit. But it definitely was something that I still used. And I would wager that the vast majority of trainers in some way probably have used positive reinforcement or will. I don't think that there's very many people who just blatantly do not use any level of positive reinforcement in their training. Um, there are people that completely despise it. And I think those extremist types would be the most likely to try not to use it at all because they view giving treats as like uh, bribery or like lacking in being a good trainer, which is so stupid. Um, but I think to some extent, like the vast majority of riders do use it, even if they subscribe to traditional training methods. So yeah, like I said, I use positive reinforcement in my training and I'll even use it like when I'm starting horses under saddle now, I'll do things like I teach them the cues for like moving over off of leg and kind of moving their haunches and moving their shoulder out. And I'll do this with pressure and release. But then as I release the pressure, I also reward positively by way of treat or scratching their neck if they're quite tactile. And when I'm teaching with pressure and release, I think the most important dis distinguishing factor between the good usage of it and when you're doing too much is that you shouldn't just be getting louder and louder and increasing the pressure more and more until you get a response. If you do it and the horse doesn't respond, you need to find a better way of teaching them how to do it. So if your horse doesn't respond to your leg when you put your leg on, whipping the shit out of them isn't the way to handle it, even though technically you're taking away something and it reinforces the forward. Um, it, if you do negative reinforcement to the extent that a lot of people do, it ends up becoming punishing. Um, and a lot of people take that too far. So negative reinforcement needs to be used carefully. So for example, I ask a horse to move over in the cross ties, I put a hand on them and I push. And generally most of them will move away from the pressure. And then you say, good horse, good horse, pet them. And that's great. Now, if you have a horse that hasn't learned how to move off their shoulder properly and you just get mad at them and start hitting them and like start belting them until they move or just pushing and pushing and pushing, getting increasingly more aggressive without actually teaching them what the cue might be, then that's where the problem lies because you're just increasing the stress response because you're asking the horse to do something they have not learned. And you're just expecting that as you get louder, eventually they'll do it. And then as soon as they do, you release the pressure. But then in order to train the thing, you probably put the pressure right back on after the release and ask again. And then it makes them stressed. So I think the, the important thing with negative reinforcement is that people need to know when is too much, when they're escalating it. And they need to be really careful of how they train cues so that it doesn't result in a sour horse. Um, and like I said, I pair a lot of that with positive reinforcement as the reward when they 
listen and I'll release the pressure and then I'll also reward them positively. This is how I taught Banksy how to be trained to be led with a halter. Um, I put a halter on him. I would apply pressure to the rope. He would walk forward. While he's walking forward, I'd scratch his neck and also release the pressure as soon as he took a step forward. And it works quite well. He started wanting to walk forward with very little pressure, and now he leads great. And I don't honestly think there's any stress associated with leading as a result. Um, and I think that's probably one of the better ways to use negative reinforcement because it helps ensure that you don't keep escalating it if you're always giving a reward. Um, makes you more likely to reward small approximations. And that's probably the problem a lot of people run into with negative reinforcement too, is that if you expect too much and you're not rewarding small enough approximations towards your end goal, then you end up with a really frustrated and stressed horse. So what I mean by this is that if you want your horse to go forward to trot when they're unbroke, when they're halted, it's not fair to expect them to immediately trot when you put your leg on if they've not learned it. What you should be doing is having someone on the ground to help you, or you generally you teach this from the ground before getting on, but let's pretend someone just gets on the horse without teaching it leg aids. You have someone there to encourage forward momentum nicely, and then as soon as they even take one step of the walk, reward. And then eventually, as you do these small approximations, you'll start to increase your expectations. And then by the time you want them to trot, you would have done a lot of small approximations to get there, a little bit of step of walk, a little more, a little more, a little more, and then they're trotting. Big reward. Yay. Good job. And I think that we need to lower our expectations in training for that reason. So you don't want, like, you don't, your horse doesn't need to do it perfectly, but if they do anything that's in the step in the right direction, especially when they're just learning, it should be rewarded for that instead of you just asking more and more because you want more of a response while the horse is learning. Any attempt to try is good. If you want your horse to be a trier that actually enjoys their job and tries to seek the right thing, you can't be greedy and you can't ask for too much. So you have to reward the small approximations. And that is a large part of my philosophy with using negative reinforcement. And now, like I said about positive punishment, like I try to use it very sparingly and like, there's definitely situations where I think it's entirely justified to use, but like I said, I think more often than not, it's misused. And like I said, I'm guilty of misusing it as well for many, many years. And then, yeah, and in my case, like, for example, positive punishment, I would be more likely to use, like, when I'm on riding young horses, especially on trails. Like, for example, I had a horse that spooked at something and they started backing into a barbed wire fence and it was cutting their legs and they kept going and they were literally going to get hung up in the fence. So I, like, I smacked them on the bum with a whip pretty good and I kicked them to try to just get anything I could do to send them forward away from the barbed wire. I did because anything I did would be way kinder than the result that would happen if we got stuck in barbed wire and then there's situations like that where i think it's more justified and like i said like if you can do your training without it that should be your goal but if you're going to use it as a method it needs to be very spot on in terms of when you use it and how you use it and i think people just need to have more discretion for when they bring in positive punishment with any animal 
So for me, like my philosophy in general is that I don't want my horses to dislike being around me. Like I take big offense if I have, even if it's a horse in training that does not belong to me, if they run away from me and do not want to be caught or they resent my presence, that's not good. That's not what you want when you're a person who supposedly loves horses and wants and wants to train them. You want them to like you. You want to be the good guy. Um, and initially, like when I was first riding a lot of other people's horses, like a lot of them would just associate me with work and they wouldn't like me and they wouldn't always want to be caught. But now that I've started doing more positive reinforcement methods and praising them for being caught and initially like for hard to catch horses for example with my Arab he was very hard to catch when I finally put him out on turnout because I was a dick and I kept him stalled for way too many years and he was like fuck you bitch I don't want to be caught and I mean who can blame him but anyways my way of handling that was just chasing him until he got tired and then catching him and then shockingly I would wonder why he didn't want to be caught I know big surprise hey but anyways now I will not do that um I bring like an apple or a cookie and I give the horse a cookie and apple when I catch them every time I go out there it's not necessarily to work them hard I'll sometimes just go out and hang out in the field pet them give them a treat and with my horses I reward them for being caught I reward them every time they get in the trailer and I just try to do things that make it when I'm asking them to do something that might be hard for them to do physically or scary like the trailer I want to make it a pleasant experience where they know they're going to get a reward for them. So now when I go out in the field, my horses are actually annoying because even if you're going out there to like fix a fence or something, the whole squad is coming through. They're coming with you. They're helping you fix the fence, which can get annoying if you're doing something and you don't want them to help with it. But they want to come out and work now. They want to be caught. They want to hang out. And I think that's what everyone should strive for. And similarly, when I'm especially with my own horses. Like with clients, this part gets a little slippery because you have to be very careful to like for especially like people are less willing to look further into things if they're a client straight up. But for my own horses, like I would be very upset if any of them were girthy when I did up a girth. If any of them even tried to like pin their ears little and tried to bite me when I'm doing up the girth, I would be putting them on ulcer treatment or they would be getting their backs looked at saddle fit checked because they're trying to tell me something. Whereas a lot of other people will actually discipline these behaviors and hit their horse for it when literally all they're telling you is, hey, ouch, that hurts. I don't like this. And then you're hitting them and being like, screw you, you can't tell me this hurts. And then you wonder why your horse comes up sound unsound randomly. And this is why, because they try to communicate and we ignore them. No, we not only ignore them, we punish them for it and silence their calls for help. But yeah, it's a mistake that a lot of people make with pain and stress-related behaviors is that they punish them. People will punish their horses for spooking. They'll punish their horse for exhibiting pain signals and saying no to something instead of being like, hmm, why are they doing this? So anyways, with my horses, if any of those behaviors arose, I would not be okay with it because that's not cool. And like even things like wanting to take the bit. Willingness to take the bit is something that matters to me. If they slam their teeth shut and don't want it, I failed at my job. <laughs> I want them to want to seek the bit. I want them to open their mouth easily. I want them to be okay saddling. I don't want them to be pissed off when I'm saddling them. I don't want them to pin their ears or try to bite me when I'm getting on. And all of these things are important things that I try to instill in my horses. And then if their behavior changes from what is normal, that's where you start to look in a problem. So anyways, like I said, with clients' horses, this is a little bit more complicated because a lot of trainers are willing to ignore these pain-related or stress-related behaviors. And the problem with that is that if you're the one who, if you're the trainer who cries pain, which is like the boy who cries wolf, people will try to discredit you. 
And a lot of people are liable to move somewhere else, especially if the thing that you're telling them that is a problem is expensive and they don't want to pay for it. Or they'll just be like, oh, they've always been like that. Or, oh, she's just a marish mare. That's why she does this. And yeah, it's, it's very frustrating. So I still say things. And if I don't think a horse is sound, I'll say something. And then if I know they've treated their horse for ulcers and done the saddle, checked their back, and they're still being cinchy and biting. What I will do is that I try to create a positive association with the saddle to override the negative one, because what a lot of horses will do is if something has been painful and uncomfortable for an extended period of time, even after it's been fixed, they'll expect it to hurt. So then what you need to do there is that you need to create a positive association with what they're doing. And in order to do that, you have to give them an incentive to like whatever you're doing. And that means that you have to reward them for like putting the saddle on or so on and so forth, whatever the issue is. So when I get horses that are like that with the saddle, what I will do is that I will bring the saddle over and I usually have a pocket full of treats. Or again, if the horse is tactile, I will just like scratch their neck in their favorite place and I'll bring the saddle over put the saddle on, get, get a treat or sorry, put the saddle blanket on. They get a cookie right after I put it on, like marking the behavior, correct approximations. You know, you can't, you can't put the saddle pad on, walk away and then feed them a treat and have them know what it is. So saddle pad on, feed them a treat with the other hand. Saddle goes on, feed them the treat with the other hand. Girth goes on one side, feed them the treat with the other hand. Girth goes up the other side, I'll hold the girth on the billet without actually doing it up. So that there's just the tiniest bit of pressure where the girth would be cookie. Do it up one hole, cookie. Do it up another hole, cookie. Good job, horse. Thank you. This is nice. Saddle's nice. You get a treat when the saddle is on. And more often than not, this starts to resolve their behavior if there's not pain still occurring. And I've had horses who've been very aggressive for the saddle because they were initially like riddled with ulcers. And this works. It it really changed their behavior and it made them a lot more easy to manage and less cranky about getting saddled and mounted and so on and so forth. But the important thing about that is making sure that it's not a pain-related signal in the first place because, like I said, pain kind of needs to be dealt with first and foremost if that's the problem. And a lot of people avoid dealing with it because it can be expensive to deal with pain and it's also easier to ignore it if your horse is still willing to perform with you. But the problem with that mindset is that for the horses who aren't willing to perform through pain and aren't as mentally resilient to put up with the abuse, those are the ones that we label as bad horses and often get pawned off as being dangerous or crazy and so on and so forth. And I think that a lot of those types of horses are just horses that we've done super dirty and then they get thrown away because no one wants to deal with them even though they cause the problems. And I'm pretty sure like in Milo's case, I think he honestly would have been one of those horses because the odds of him going to someone that wasn't willing to sway away from incredibly traditional methods and would have punished him when he acted out, which was often, um, the odds of him going to someone like that was pretty high, like honestly, because I would argue that a lot of trainers in the area, especially ones that specialize in starting horses, they don't really have the patience to put up with the level of bullshit he would throw at people. And He would have been that crazy horse that would have come after someone aggressively and like bit them or like 
literally ran them clear over, reared up and struck out at them stallion style. Like he would hurt someone if they did that um, for a long enough time. And then he would be the crazy horse that would either be getting euthanized or would be getting sent to an auction, sent to slaughter for being crazy. When really all he would be doing is exercising his right to an opinion and pointing out the injustice and in how he's being handled. So I support that. And like, honestly, even for me, like when we first got Milo, like, like I said, I would, not do fair approximations in training and I would ask too much of him sometimes so for things like he hated fly spray and he still doesn't like it but he tolerates it now but he hated fly spray and I would go to him with the fly spray with not enough rewards and then like he would literally just run me over and he scared the shit out of me when I first got him for that reason because he like on the ground only like when we started riding him he was great but on the ground like if you pushed it even just like an inch too far like you're getting you're getting the milo smackdown and he doesn't do that anymore because he's not been put in a position where he feels that stress that he needs to but what i'm trying to say is that like he could have very easily had a different story if he didn't have someone that was willing to start to adjust and change their methods and like i said earlier i still wronged him even with that and i could have turned out a better horse in the end especially where we are now we could have been further along if i'd just been less fucking greedy in the first place and that's the problem that a lot of us have is that there's this inherent greed and we feel like our horses owe us something even though we're competing in sports that they do not understand they don't understand even when you win if they feel any excitement about winning, it's probably in relation to your attitude being happy and them feeding off of that and being praised when they win. It's not because they understand the concept of what they're competing in or what's going on. They don't. And they also don't understand the concept of like being trained to do a certain thing or what they're even supposed to do as a horse. They just... They do what they can with the information we give them. They do not know how to be riding horses. They don't come out of the womb knowing what their job is going to be as like a show jumper just because they were bred that way. They don't know. So it's important for us as people to be the smarter humans in the equation because we are their trainers and we are way more intelligent and we actually understand what the sport is for and we have the capacity to read studies and understand what our horses are capable of understanding, whereas they don't have the capacity to do this. So it is our job to make sure that we're not being pricks to our horses because at the end of the day, like no matter how you swing it, Taking a horse to a competition is a selfish endeavor because it doesn't really give anything to the horse. You could do the exact same thing at home and they'd get the same amount out of it. They don't care about going off property and going somewhere. They don't care about the glory. They don't care if they've won Olympic gold medals. They don't give a flying fuck. They don't care. They're horses. They don't understand the concept of what is going on. They simply do not. And it's our job that if we're going to ask them to do these selfish things like hop in a horse trailer and go to a show or go and perform their heart out like anywhere like even in training if we're gonna ask them to do these things and do things that go inherently against their nature like packing around us on their backs as a flight animal we need to be more considerate of their feelings because at the end of the day our horses give us so much and we give them very little in return especially with modern care practices horses will be trying their hearts out and they'll win their riders gold medals they'll win them grand prix and they'll win them tons of money in their classes and then they go home and they get put in a dark stall where they can't see their friends and they just get to sit there and be depressed and people mistake depressed horses for being calm or relaxed because they've just succumbed to how their life is and they just go into a state that allows them to cope. 
And we're okay with it because they're not loudly complaining. And even if they were loudly complaining, we would make up some other stupid excuse like we always do and have a problem with it. But we are greedy in what we ask of our horses. So at the bare minimum, we need to make sure that we're being considerate, providing them with their basic needs and allowing them to exhibit natural behaviors. And as it stands now, there's a lot of people who are renowned in the equine community that are not doing it. I don't care if they're your favorite rider or your favorite influencer. Who they could li- It could literally be Jesus himself riding in on a horse. If he stalls it 24-7 or it's only getting like minimal turnout each day, he's still still problematic. I don't care who they are. They could be the god of equestrianism. If they're not turning their horse out, they're a problem. doesn't matter who does it. We need to start having higher standards for these types of things. And we also need to have higher standards for conduct and what sorts of equipment we allow in competition. Because like I said, our horses are giving us a lot. They give us glory. They take us to competitions. They bring us winnings. They give us jobs. And we give them so little in return. At the bare minimum, we owe it to them to allow them a nice place to live where they can interact with friends like they are supposed to as a horse. And I'm not saying this needs to be necessarily group turnout, but at the bare minimum, they should be able to interact and touch horses over a fence or between stall bars, and they should have time outside where they have enough room to run and be a horse at the bare minimum because they do so much for us. And then we also need to reconsider like what type of riding and training we want to be rewarding in competition in the first place, because like far too often we see people bringing horse, like especially in the show jumping ring, like really big bidding setups that are not fair with abrasive mouthpieces and shanked leverage, lots of nose bands to strap the mouth shut so they can't even open their mouth to escape from the immense amounts of leverage and abrasion in their mouth. And we allow this because we say that the horses are jumping at a level where they need it. The horses don't need it. They have been trained to go in a way that their training has allowed them to go. They don't come out of the womb being like, oh yeah, daddy, put me in a double twisted wire bit like they don't do that and we try to anthropomorphize their behaviors to justify what we do to them and it's pretty gross so there should be a limit with what equipment we are willing to justify ethically and I think more people need to seriously look within themselves and and consider where they've gone wrong with their horses and what they can make changes because most of us can make changes. Like I said, I'm still learning and making mistakes and there are often times where I don't feel I've done everything I could in a ride to do the best by my horse. And even now, like with my horse's current turnout situation, they definitely have enough room to run around and I have a field down the road that they go to frequently where they have even more room to run around and can actually pick up like a full flat gallop. But I still wish their regular pen was big and it is my dream to eventually hopefully have the housing market crash so that I can actually get a big property where they can go out on big herds and be horses and I like I, like I said it's not ideal it's not perfect what I have for them and their management and their turnout but I really crave for it to be better and I'm aware of where it could be better and I think that more people need to come to terms with that because I understand depending on geographic location, it can be hard to provide certain things for horses. But at the end of the day, we do just need to have higher standards because like I've said online before, like 
just because you want like a border collie or a blue healer to live in your apartment building even though you work 16 hour days doesn't mean you should get one and the same is with horses just because you want a horse doesn't mean it's fair to get them if your only option is for them to be stalled and a lot of people will just just try to guilt trip people and be like well does this mean i shouldn't have a horse if all i can provide is this and the answer is yes that does mean that unless you're planning on changing something asap and moving to try to make it more fair to the horse it's not the horse's job to put up with neglect and abuse just because we want them as a companion or as a competition partner they shouldn't have to put up with our bullshit just because we're selfish and want them to do certain things for us and that's kind of what we all need to start realizing is that us wanting a horse doesn't mean we deserve to have one if we cannot adequately provide for them and like I said, in the modern world, we're never going to get what the perfect situation would be for a horse to be out on everywhere. And I'm also very jealous of a lot of people's fields in more rural areas. Like I like it's, I lust over them. <laughs> um, but we're not going to get a perfect situation, but we could make things better, like changing modern stalling practices and adding bars between the stalls, having in and outs attached to paddocks, making sure horses can talk over the fence, and just starting to publicly denounce the idea of keeping these animals cooped up all the time or the idea of slapping these huge training gadgets on them and big bits on them and using it as a means for control so that we can move up the levels faster instead of adjusting our riding and learning how to ride more ethically to make it happen in a softer way and until the public opinion really starts to shift and people start being more vocal about this i don't honestly see it changing very often because people are so commonly positively reinforced by their friends their trainers and other people in the industry for doing things a certain way so they see no reason to change it because they're always applauded and they get reinforcement from it like I mentioned with the horses, people are positively reinforced by how they're spoken to and how they're treated and how people walk on eggshells about saying certain things in fear of offending people. But at the end of the day, in a sport that involves an animal, the animal welfare should be the forefront of our concerns, and it's not. It's straight up not. And this has been one of my struggles as a trainer. Honestly, people always ask me what my plans to move up the levels are, and I don't know because I'm not going to go show Grand Prix if it meant that I'd have to sell my soul and start riding in pieces of equipment that I don't agree with or start managing my horses in ways that I don't agree with. And I wish more people had those views because we need more big name riders loudly advocating for ethical treatment of the horses and start to talk about a lot of the modern practices we've grown far too comfortable with and it's not happening enough as it is there are a few that are like i really appreciate carl cook and what he's done for the horse world because he has brought light to a lot of these types of issues and he is one of the more humble and respectful types of riders in terms of his treatment towards the horses and I really appreciate that for him. But the fact of the matter is, like, I'm honestly more surprised to hear upper level riders actually turning out their horses and doing certain things that should be the bare minimum basics than I am to hear that they don't. And until that changes, it doesn't bode well for our industry, in all honesty. And we need to be the change we want to see, which is why I've started being more vocal about these things. And it's made a lot of people hate me and dislike me and try to discredit me and just post really mean things about me. <laughs> like, honestly, when I started being more vocal about this, there was a clear shift where people who used to gas up my post all the time and be like, you're so awesome. I love your horse. He's so beautiful. Those same people would soon become ones that would like 
be actively bullying me online saying disparaging things like even to the extent where people like made mean comments about George dying and stuff and I'm pretty sure that most of the reason behind their animosity is because of me talking about bits and turnout and things that make people uncomfortable because they're guilty of them and they don't want to consider looking further into it other than vilifying the person who's saying the thing and I do get that I can be abrasive in a lot of my views and I can be blunt especially in writing which is why I think doing this podcast more often where I get to talk and actually have like tone behind things I think that's pretty important because I find my tone isn't always taken properly in writing compared to what I think it is when I'm writing it and I would say that the problem with that probably is in part due to like ADHD because I'll read things very quickly and then I just start writing right away and it often results in me misreading the thing and then I I put off the wrong tone or I'll try to write too bluntly and quickly and I will not reread it and then I just look like an asshole when I read it back because it's so blunt and That is something that I've been trying to work on because it makes people less likely to listen to my tone. But at the same time, I don't really feel the need to be overly flowery and kind about things that are common knowledge and provable by science, um, like turnout and whatnot. And like with the bits and stuff, I get that there's not studies saying what certain bidding setups are unfair, but we need to just start looking at the mechanics of how certain things work and really educating ourselves on the mechanics of certain gadgets and bits. And then it's very telling how they, how they enact on the horse. And yeah, like there needs to be more, like there should be more studies done on it, but the the people who have the money to pay for said studies to happen probably don't want them to come out because the studies would reflect poorly on them and their practices. Um, But we don't necessarily need studies to start to critically look at the mechanics of certain setups and decide what we want to borrow from sport because they've already been doing that in other disciplines. So I think that the biggest change we need to see in people's training is more acceptance of positive reinforcement and less labeling it as bribery because we all positively reinforce our dogs. Like it's commonplace to call, to positively reinforce dogs to do tricks. Um, we shouldn't expect our horses to just blindly do what we ask them without any reinforcement or bribery. I don't like the term bribery because I view it as we're paying them a wage to do work that we want them to do that has no real interest to them mentally. Like horses don't want to go and parade around an arena and do a dressage test um, unless you make it rewarding so we need to pay them for their work and like all of us we wouldn't want to do hard work for free we shouldn't make our horses do hard work for free and we need to stop wording it as bribery because all it is is you're paying them a wage and then the other problem with kind of that kind of that is that people will justify what their horse has to do or how they handle them when they misbehave on the basis of oh like I feed care for them they get vet care they get massage they get Cairo the least that they can do is be good while I'm riding first of all do not get an animal if you want to be patted on the back for providing the bare minimum care, especially for an athlete. I would view getting them massage if they're sore, or getting them Cairo, or getting your saddle fit properly. If you want them to be an athlete, their body needs to be healthy. So if they need those things to happen, you're doing bare minimum care. And vet care is definitely bare minimum care. You signed up for that in getting an animal. Um, 
So you shouldn't expect to be rewarded or applauded or that your horse owes you for you providing them with the bare minimum care for what you're asking them to do. And at the same time, your horse doesn't know what they even signed up for. So when they do react poorly, it's not like they can clue in and be like, oh, shit, she just got me a massage last week. I better better be good and not stop at this fence. They don't think that way. They're horses. We try to humanize them way too much. And it's honestly comical to like listen to some of the things that people come up with. And uh, it's, it's, I could talk about this for like decades and I probably will be like when I'm like 96, I'll still be bitching about this stuff because I doubt it'll have changed as much as I would have liked it to. Um, so yeah, we just need to heighten our expectations because someone being a good rider is not enough for them to be your idol anymore. They also need to be a good horse person. You can ride amazingly when every class in existence and every discipline you could be like the god of all horseback riding like literally everything you go into you win and it doesn't fucking matter if you're shitty to your horses shouldn't matter i don't care what you've won if you're not nice to your horses i don't care if you're an olympic gold medalist and i'm not if you're not nice to your horses because at least my horses get to go out and hang out with each other and have normal behaviors and activities at least my horses don't have stall vices because they get to do normal activities and they're not stressed so I don't care if you're an Olympic gold medalist because I already win if my horses are being treated better because the reason for being in this sport should be because you love the horses and we need to stop valuing riding above actual horsemanship and similarly we need to start valuing the opinions of scientists and professional behaviorists more than we value the opinions of trainers because at the end of the day A trainer, just because they're competing Grand Prix, does not mean they know anything about equine behavior. And in fact, I would argue most people are very ignorant between equine to equine behaviors because they'll, like I said, with the girthing and cinchiness, they'll label that as bad behavior rather than acknowledging it for what it is, which a behavior in an equine scientist, they would not miss it. They would not mislabel the behavior, but trainers and riders commonly do all the time. And it's not commonplace to have a heightened knowledge on equine behavior yet. We're really behind in that regard. So you cannot trust that just because someone's a trainer and just because they produce results at a high level, that they know what they're talking about from a behavior and welfare perspective. They don't necessarily know that. We need to stop valuing show results above actual results of walking through their barns, seeing what their horses are like. Are they depressed? Do they have stall vices and other stress-related behaviors? Do they get the free S, which are freedom, friends, and forage? Do they have those? Those are the bare minimum basics. Do they? Yes or no? If they don't, then no. It doesn't matter who they are, how much they've won. They're not providing the bare minimum basics. And Start looking at the horses and their temperaments and stop rewarding people for their show careers because what matters the most is how the horses are treated. And honestly, it's way more deplorable to look at someone's decorated show career winning a lot of classes and then consider the fact that their horses might be mistreated to get there and they're just up there winning, getting all the glory, getting applauded for it while actively mistreating their horses. That's so much more gross than someone never getting to that level and doing the same thing. Like getting rewarded constantly for abuse and just being okay with it and being ignorant that's so gross like I would rather someone be a backyard rider doing the same thing than a grand prix rider because the grand prix rider is supposed to be setting an example for everyone else and they straight up are not (sighs) but yeah that that was a rant all right I can tell you that but (laughs) um yeah so behaviorists and equine scientists opinions are what matter and like if trainers have opinions about equine behavior that are founded by science by all means listen to them because it's really 
ironic for me as a trainer to be discrediting trainers when I am one. But I will say for me to become a professional, it required absolutely no effort on my part to prove I know anything about equine behavior. I could just do it. And that's what everyone can do. There's no background check to make sure that you actually know how to read equine behavior correctly and that what you're doing is ethical. Nothing. Anyone can become a trainer. It doesn't matter. And some people are lucky enough to become a trainer and get rewarded for it on paper and work up the levels and have the appearance of great success all while not being fair to their horses. So that's something we need to come to terms with and acknowledge because until that changes, we can't completely blindly support people just because of the level that they ride at. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with like training. Like my philosophy in general is that I'm pretty relaxed in terms of like where I like I I think I fall in the middle like maybe more closer to the positive spectrum now but I still like I'm more in the middle but I guess like it would be like kind of positive reinforcement with like negative reinforcement but the closest school of thought I guess to that would be a lot of the classical dressage trainers like the book that I really like are the ones that Walter Zettel wrote about like moving up the levels on dressage horses because it was very interesting when I started reading them one of the first things that I noticed was how much more he actually talked about the horse and their well-being and how they're being treated and their attitude in work rather than the rider and what the rider is doing and how to dominate the horse. He was one of the few people in a training book that I'd read that actually did that, especially someone who's now deceased and isn't actively training. So he would have been in during the time where there would have been even less scientific information about. And his his writing is very much about rewarding the horse and developing a relationship with the horse and not being greedy and not asking too much, not stressing the horse, achieving relaxation, which is what riding should be about. So I'd say my school of thought is closest to there. And like I said, I'm actively learning and changing. So anyone who tries to discredit what I say based off of like past views is just not realizing that people can and should grow and change their opinions as they learn more. And we all need to start being more accepting of that because just because someone was a certain way a few years ago doesn't mean that they don't have the capacity to change. And in fact, people changing and growing with the times should be something that we applaud and reward instead of being like, oh, like you're so fake, you change. No, growth is good. If you learn new information, change your ways instead of just sticking with your guns just because you're afraid of people calling you out for doing it differently. Who cares? So... Yeah. And at the end of the day, like if anything I said in this podcast has made you feel guilty, that's honestly not my intention. Like I said, my care of my horses isn't perfect and problem free. I wish they had more room. And eventually my goal is to retire them all out on many acres and then they can black beauty style lay down under a willow tree and eat the grass and live out their days. And like where I stand is like my horses have a better life than a lot of horses in my area because my I live in the country, but it's more suburban and developed than a lot of areas are. And it's also very expensive. So there's less land available, but they have a pretty good setup for the area and they haven't shown any major stress behaviors in their situation, despite the fact that I wish they had more room. With that said, if it was ever a situation where I could not have them turned out anymore and they would have to go into stalls full-time or have limited to no turnout, I would have to sell them. Like, ethically, like, I could not have them 
in that position like I wouldn't keep them if I had if my only options were to stall them and like if that like I can't see it coming to that because stallboard is also more expensive so it doesn't even really make sense from a finances standpoint but if it did I would either sell all my horses to people who could provide those things for them or I would have to move them out of area and not go see them if I'm staying in the area and just have them live out in a field somewhere where people can take care of them until I move out that way myself and I'd say that's one of the bigger changes I've made in how I handle things is that before it was all about me and convenience for me. And now I'm trying more and more to cater to the horses and what is healthiest for them. And we should all be moving more towards that because it is like, I think we can all admit, like, even if you hit your horse, can we just acknowledge how weird it is for people to flex the fact that they hit their horse and to like brag about it or joke about it? Like, it's just a very weird thing to do. Um, and it comes off as too aggressive and it sends the wrong message. It's just really weird. And like, I don't know, like people are afraid of like all the militant vegans and like PETA people coming after them. And the stuff that I see on TikTok, like I, I would actually be for PETA shutting those people down. And if we can't erase those types of people, mostly from the horse world, then I'm okay with all the disciplines shutting down because the show world is very hypocritical in how harsh a lot of show horse people are on the racing industry, but then they don't have the same criticism towards their own industry, which is more behind the times in terms of not changing regulations and developing with the times. The racing industry actually has put forth a lot of new ideas to try to change with the times because of the pressure from animal rights organizations, but we haven't in the show world. So, for me, like, as much as it would suck to have to give up showing if it all got shut down, but if, like, if none of this is going to change and if people think racing is beyond repair and needs to go, then I want everything to go because we're all guilty of it and it's not fair for just one to go when we all do shitty things and that it's so ingrained in our riding and training culture that it's just normalized to the point where if you question it, you're the odd one out and you're the weirdo. Sorry, I'm like so distracted right now because I can see out my window Banksy's like striking out and rearing at Pogo. And anyways, this is one of the perks of having horses out together. They do hilarious stuff and they actually just genuinely genuinely have fun and play and it's awesome and yeah so that's kind of really rambly and like I said my podcasts are probably like like I said like I didn't say this earlier sorry like I said briefly earlier I have ADHD so if you're listening to my podcast they probably will be all over the place because I'll literally go rambling and then I'll forget what I said before and then I keep rambling so that's kind of the premise of my podcast is it's going to be rapid stream of thought and very honest and just kind of me repeating the same thing over and over again probably but for whatever reason people seem to actually listen to them so I mean like thank you I guess (laughs) like but yeah um so I guess to end this like the one thing I will say is that horse people I find as like a population of humans we've grown really oh my god Banksy just got his foot stuck on Pogo's neck oh my god okay so as as a as a group of people we've grown really comfortable with a lot of like problematic behaviors in horses and viewing them as normal Like, when horses have personality, people view it as weird because they're so used to seeing these calm, deadheaded, shut-down horses that they're surprised to see how much horses actually play and interact with their humans when they're allowed to communicate. And that's one of the 
one of the weirdest things I think I've noticed on social media is that I often get people talking to me about how like jealous they are of how much my horses interact and like how loud their personalities are and I thought about it and it it honestly can't just be the horses that I select because I've had a lot of horses end up in my care that I haven't even picked and that I've just kind of had arrive and they all end up getting these beautiful vibrant personalities out in the field with their friends or with us working with them and it has to be related to how we let them communicate with us and how we are with them because it just wouldn't make sense for me to always just be lucking out with these types of horses and I just want to put this out to people who want to create a, a brighter relationship with their horse is that even if you buy a horse who's been discouraged or shut down from previous owners, there are things you can change to start to bring the personality out of them more and to start encourage more open communication. And the way you can start with that is by limiting your punishment immensely. You want them to communicate with you, even if it sucks to hear what they have to say sometimes. Um, and that's the way to encourage a personality and actually like an enjoyment of being around their human because horses can't be playful in the same way and they're not going to be comfortable bringing their personality out in the same way with someone who gets mad at them for every little thing because they're going to be scared of the consequences um so the best way you can do that is just by not being a dictator and allowing them the means of communicating and then you'll find they'll start to communicate more and more and obviously all horses have different personalities some will be more introverted than others but if you want your horse to start communicating with you and having a good time the best way to do that is to make the training and time around you fun and then also allow them the means to communicate with you and like I said, that's one of the best small changes you can start to make in your riding career is just trying to like when you're riding, anytime something happens, just try to think about it from their side and be like, hmm, could they be trying to tell me something? Like, what is this? How should I handle this? And like sometimes horses might just be telling you that they don't feel like working today. And in that case, you kind of just need to reevaluate how you ask them things. It's not always going to be pain related and they're not robots. so They're not going to be perfect 100% of the time. But you just need to have that open line of communication so that they can talk to you when they need to and that they don't feel scared to interact with you. And then you'll start to have a more vibrant social horse that's happier. And the same thing with this is in a herd setting, you're more likely to get those really fun personalities because they're allowed to kind of exercise their personality with other friends and actually interact and kind of develop relationships and have a life outside of just being ridden by their human. Um, so yeah, that's important too. But yeah, at the end of the day, I think that we all just need to be honest with ourselves. And if we're actually truly in this sport for the horses and for the love of them, then there's a lot of things that we should not be accepting on such a massive level that we are currently. And I do hope that this podcast helps people consider new things and maybe start to change their ways. Because like I said, I'm constantly working on myself. I get greedy still sometimes. I'd say most people do because we're a greedy species. And it can be hard to break all habits. Like it can be hard to break old habits when you've been taught to be greedy from the people who taught you how to ride and it's something you've grown comfortable with over years or decades it can be hard so you kind of constantly need to remind yourself ask lots of questions and just kind of reflect on your rides even after it happens if you realize something about a ride even if you just had and you listen to this podcast and you feel bad it's okay to feel guilty and that's normal but then take that guilt and just do better next time that's really all you can do you can't go back in time and change the mistakes you've made just like I can't but what you can do is you can start to make the lives of horses that you're working with now better and you can start to better your ways now so instead of kind of sulking and only looking at the past and feel guilty and 
I don't know, feeling a certain way, just start to start to just change what you can do now in the present and start to better your ways now and be more critical of what you're doing and try to take yourself back if you ever get frustrated and just go for a walk, get off the horse and try to set yourself back and not be as aggressive or frustrated as you might be in that moment. And that's really the best you can do. Because like I said, people aren't perfect. Even with the amount of communication we can have with each other, we still have fights and arguments and we still... Pogo just took off Banksy's fly mask. Um, We still have arguments and we still have problems with each other, even though we can really easily communicate with each other in comparison to how we can with horses. We still have those problems. So I don't think it's possible to always have everything go perfectly with an animal that can't speak our language. But we can make sure that we try to start to do things a better way and set higher standards so that the standard at shows and whatnot and the standard of those we idolize is raised so that they have to act a certain way and start to do better by their horses. And that's the best we can do. So thank you for listening to this. If you did, I'm sorry for the rambling. Um, But like I said, if you listen to a podcast with someone who has ADHD, you signed up for it. (laughs) Haha. Anyways, I hope this was educational and... In the future, I'm going to try to do more episodes like this. Feel free to make suggestions. If you like this one, I'm always open to suggestions. And um, yeah, I'm going to try to upload every Sunday now if I can. And then also me and Jill, Jet Equitheory, are planning on doing some episodes together as well. So those will be up in the next several weeks. And keep an eye out on our podcast for those because she'll be posting one on her channel and I'll post one on mine. So yeah. Thank you guys for watching and I hope you enjoyed. Have a good day.